My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. I have a confession. Two of them, actually. First, I have dozens, probably closer to hundreds, of reusable bags that have never been reused. Or, if they have, have been reused once. Many cities in Canada including Toronto, where I live, are getting rid of single-use plastic bags, so stores are now selling reusable bags, sometimes for as little as a few cents. So now I just buy those, and I stuff them under the sink, same way I used to do with plastic bags. Second confession, I cannot physically stand the feel of wooden takeout utensils in my mouth. I am desperately concerned about the environment. I lie awake at night thinking of climate disasters and the kind of world my child will inherit. But still, those things are just disgusting. So those are my two confessions about sustainable packaging. I imagine you have some yourself. It is a natural part of adjusting to a big shift in our behavior. And the shift towards sustainable packaging and the behaviors that come with that is almost everywhere. And with that shift come enough questions to make you wonder how we'll ever manage it. So what counts as sustainable anyway? Why are we sometimes replacing plastic with other kinds of plastic? How can you tell if a package is biodegradable or green or just greenwashed? What exactly are we trying to accomplish here? And how well or poorly are governments and businesses doing at explaining to us how we'll go about it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Natalia Lumby is the Chair in Graphic Communications Management at Toronto Metropolitan University's The Creative School. Her research interests focus on sustainability in packaging, particularly in the food and beverage industry. Hi, Natalia. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I mean, my first question is because this is a bit of a a buzzword, I guess, is when we talk about uh, packaging, plastic bags, and all this kind of stuff, what does sustainability in this context actually mean? Yeah, so um, way to start with a super small and uncomplicated question. I appreciate that. (laughs) That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, okay, so the Sustainable Packaging Coalition has a really great definition of what makes a sustainable package. And it's a long laundry list of things. But uh, if I were to point out a few is that it's safe for people. It's renewable. It's made of renewable materials, but it's also using renewable energies to manufacture 
it's sort of designed optimally so that you're not creating waste. And perhaps most importantly, though I shouldn't single any one of these out, it's effectively recovered. That's probably the stickler on these single-use items is the re- recovery is quite poor. So when we're talking about sustainable packaging, we're talking about all those things. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about sustainability broadly, of course, we're talking about things that are good for people and good for planet in a really long term. Those are a lot of factors. Uh, (laughs) Why does it seem like in this case, it basically comes down to plastic versus paper? Yeah, it certainly that feels like the narrative, although I'm not sure that it actually is. Mm -hmm. I think we're trying to find an answer in a very complicated spot. And so what makes one package sustainable in one space in one industry doesn't necessarily stand for another. And that's the real difficulty. So packaging is customized manufacturing. Every product has its own set of sort of needs to the packaging industry. You know, that sort of idiom is almost funny. It's never plastic versus paper. It's what's the best for this particular product. Mm -hmm. But that's certainly how the legislation is positioning it. And I think that's how consumers are understanding it. Right. On the back end, it's not. People are just trying to find the best solutions uh, to package our products, which we have to get them to consumers one way or another. I'm not going to ask you to speak to every piece of legislation in every uh, town, city, province, etc. in the country. But but broadly speaking, in Canada, what's the direction of legislation towards sustainability? What are we banning, moving away from, etc. right now? How's it going? Yeah, so in Canada, broadly, uh, we are moving away from single-use plastics in a really big way. So there's big legislation coming. So far, where consumers would have witnessed it, would have been in in like the forks, straws, now recently bags. Those are the places where it's hit first. But the pollution prevention legislation is next going after food packaging, which is a really interesting conundrum complex space because Mm -hmm. what food packaging does is it prevents food waste. And of course, when we're thinking about sustainability, the thing that has the most impact and the largest carbon footprint is the product. It's not the package, right? So for you to grow, harvest, grind and deliver to a store a package of coffee beans, that's much more uh, carbon footprint than just the flexible packaging that it exists within. But this is where the legislation is sitting. So we're moving away from plastics. Plastics is not a renewable resource in the way that paper is. And so that's where paper is becoming sort of like a new favorite because we can always plant and grow more trees and generate paper in a way that eventually we won't be able to do with plastics, at least not the plastics of today. I have to ask you, this is my own uh, personal crusade because I live in Toronto where uh, plastic bags are vanishing, which is fine. I have no problem with that. I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, single-use plastics is something we have to move away from. They are being replaced by these, I wanted to call them canvas, but I don't think they're canvas. Um, They're quote-unquote reusable, except nobody ends up reusing them. You end up going to the store, you forget a bag, and instead of bringing home three plastic bags, I now have three more reusable bags. Uh, They're not even expensive enough to be a barrier to make me remember because No Frills charges 15 cents for them. Is this helping? Is this effective? Because it really doesn't feel like it to me. And I I really hope you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. 
No, you're dead right. It's I don't think it's helping, but it, um, I think we have to start somewhere. And where what we're witnessing is the beginning of that start, right? So in Toronto in particular, it feels quite abrupt. I, I know our retailers have been telling us that plastic bags are going away, but as a consumer, it feels quite abrupt. And, and you know, my favorite thing to do now is watch people leave the grocery store and not buy the reusable plastic bag and just try to balance everything that they've purchased, you know, like the milk sun. <laughs> top of the cereal and so on. Just a big tower of groceries. I would do that if they didn't only cost 15 cents. So I feel like it costs nothing. So I might as well buy five more reusable bags. Yes. And certainly I have seen people leaving the grocery store with 15, 20 of those, right? So what the problem is, is the consumer behavior hasn't updated to sort of reflect that we're trying to move away from these things. So they're a great solution if people reuse them. And in academia, we use something called life cycle assessment to sort of determine if something is more or less sustainable than another thing. And so the crux with these things is mostly you have to use them at least 50, 60, if not 100 times. Nobody does that. Right. So if you look at that bag's closet, if you can use it for the next 100 days, then yes, it's a great option. But the reality of the consumer behavior is not such that people are coming back with the same bags. And in fact, I've been noticing them on sidewalks, right? Mm -hmm. So like the thing we're trying to eliminate with plastic bags, we're now creating with these much more durable, they use much more materials in plastic. What materials are there? I said canvas. I know I'm wrong about that. Are these compostable? Do they break down? Are they just as bad as plastic? Well, I can't speak for every retailer, so it's possible that some are using better products than others. But generally speaking, they're a sort of woven plastic. So they are plastic. Yeah. And then there's different ones, you know, the ones that aren't sort of like thin and woven. There's larger ones that are definitely polypropylene. So it it just depends. It really depends. But, you know, all that to say is if we look at it from the perspective of we use too many materials, we consume too many materials just by weight alone. Right. So no matter what they're made of, you're using more materials to make them. I see. And so they only make sense if you reuse them much more than you would a plastic bag. I can join you on that crusade. I feel like everybody has their own pain point when it comes to the transition from single use plastics. Yes. And the thing that really irks me is why aren't we just putting out the corrugated boxes that they have so many of in the back? Right. The way um, liquor stores do it. Yes. Just put out the boxes. Okay, I want to ask you about some high-profile switches now because I think these are the ones people notice. So, like, uh, when takeout containers from big chains or when a huge company like Tim Hortons totally changes its coffee lids, are these changes towards true sustainability or, you know, a public relations effort or an attempt to kind of get by with, like, minimum compliance to whatever the new standard will be? Do you know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah. You know, identifying greenwashing as a consumer is definitely difficult. Mm-hmm. I would say en masse, when a company fully redesigns the materials and the type of package that they use, that's not usually a greenwashing opportunity because it's so expensive for them to make that move. Right. You know, if this was greenwashing, they would just hire, I don't know, Justin Bieber to sell more donuts for them again. (laughs) Like that would be a more effective use of the funds. And so I think people are acting in the right place when they're trying these different options. Right. You know, I'm a big fan of paper. I think paper products are much better in the long term because I, you and I will not live to see this day, but at some point we're going to run out of plastic. 
And so whether you like it or you don't like it, I mean, it's a great option for some things and certainly it's important, but I really love paper for the fact that we can continue to regenerate it. Mm -hmm. And so they're moving in the right direction. The question is, how will they make sure that they're collecting these lids appropriately? And how will they make sure that their uh, material recovery facilities in the area are able to accept them and recycle them? Because, of course, they're positioning them as recyclable products, but that only goes as far as your local MRF uh, will accept them, your materials recovery facility. How much of this is a messaging challenge for companies or for governments or for whomever to get people to understand how to use these new products? Oh, I think that challenge is massive. I I can't count the number of times I've seen people hesitate in front of a garbage bin and not know what to do with a coffee cup. I mean, so I'm like far in one end of the spectrum where I would say the whole thing is the problem to begin with. And it's a, you know, it's a problem of we don't have time to sit down and have a real cup of coffee out of a ceramic mug that we can wash and reuse. That's the real problem for me. They would need to invest in educating their employees because that's the point of contact that you have when you buy those cups, right? Like if everybody that you buy that coffee cup from can say back to you, put this in the recycling bin, then people will start to understand how to do that. Because it's confusing. The paper cup is not paper. It's actually plastic. You have to put it in the garbage. Well, is this lid any different, right? Like these types of questions arise for consumers. And I I think it's changed uh, back and forth a lot. And so it's inconsistent. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Ultimately, like the goal with not providing plastic bags and selling these reusable bags is to change people's behavior, right? And so that's not going to happen overnight. Is this kind of the middle point where we're all a little bit lost, but the hope is, I guess, eventually it will resolve itself into like, well, this is just what I do now. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the idea. I mean, certainly. So I come from a country where buying a bag and bringing your own bag was the norm. So that's how I grew up. Uh, And it's difficult to shift consumer behavior. I think you're right to point out the price point, that that 15 cents isn't enough to force people to remember their reusable bags. But we also have to consider access, right? Like these are food places and prices are insane right now. And so the last thing we want to do is make families pay Um, you know, a dollar per bag. So I think it'll be a long and slow transition. Again, I wish that the solution was existing packaging. Mm -hmm. To my mind, it's simple to put out corrugated boxes. And I think that would go a longer way. And it makes me skeptical as a consumer because it's a new revenue stream for, you know, grocery giants to sell these bags. What is the biggest challenge on the road to truly sustainable packaging? Is it the retailer? Is it consumer behavior? Is it messaging? Where are the roadblocks? Who shall I pick on today? Yeah. So I would say um, in the Canadian marketplace, the retailer has a lot of power and they do a lot of good with it. It's not to say that they don't. They control a lot of what goes into the stores. And oftentimes they have pushed for more sustainable options. I'm a systems researcher, and we believe in a concept called bringing the system into the room. Every one of us plays not a small part in the system. And so for me, I think consumers 
it's really important. But at the end of the day, it's legislators working together with the people who provide uh, products into the market and packages into the market. Because part of what's challenging is packaging is, it's not the expensive part of manufacturing a product for the most part, especially in food, right? So like the box your cereal comes with is sort of the least of your worries, if you will, mm-hmm. as the brand or as the retailer. It's difficult to make those changes unless they, you're working together, either in a coalition or uh, together with the government to legislate. And then, you know, when consumers are out of options, hopefully they'll make the right decisions. But everybody needs supports to move this system. And I think it will move rather slowly, unfortunately. I want to ask you a few questions about packaging itself and just how people can tell. The, f- the first one I have is biodegradable packaging, or at least that's how it's advertised. The stuff that K-cups are sometimes made of for coffee makers or um, some takeout containers claim to be. Is that stuff really biodegradable? There's a lot of controversy around them. There certainly is. And so, okay, so I'll say a a few things about biodegradables. Certainly, the first thing I want to say is we have to start somewhere. Sure. Right? So anything I say next in terms of how well it's doing or how well it's not doing, it is at the beginning of its life. And so to just say, well, it's not as perfect as we want it to be, let's not develop it at all, would be silly because that's how materials work. We have to work through the development. The challenge is recovery. And so uh, consumers knowing where to put biodegradable products and uh, the facilities knowing how to process them is a really big challenge. So they look a lot like plastic, like regular plastic, and they're actually contaminating those streams in some cases, which is a problem. Um, So we sort of lack the infrastructure to be able to process some of these things more easily. And in future, I think there'll be sort of smart sorting to be able to enable us to do that. There's a lot of conversation around, you know, when we make packaging out of food, does that take away food sources for people? Mm -hmm. It's a really challenging sort of area. But what I do know is for some applications, we need plastic-like materials. Um, maybe not just in packaging, but we need that material to develop. And so over time, hopefully, it becomes developed in such a way that it's responsible. It's coming from a renewable resource. And the more of it there is, um, the more people will be able to recover it and, and you know sell that recovered product. What are a few things that you look for when uh, you're going to a restaurant or a fast food place or a store and you're trying to determine for yourself Uh, what about their packaging is sustainable? Yeah, so the most powerful thing you could do as a consumer is honestly to buy less, right? Hmm. Uh, And so to think about your purchases more and not to be wasteful in that way because that will in and of itself reduce the amount of packaging that you use. Where available to buy without packaging is really wonderful. So I'm a big proponent of going to what locally in Toronto would be bulk barn, right? So like a bulk store where you can bring your own container, fill it up. Mm -hmm. Those are wonderful options, especially in the food space. Um, And then just reading the package, there's quite a few different types of labels on different products where the manufacturers and the brand owners really try to tell you what you need to do with that package when you are throwing it away. There's often quite a bit of information. So look for it, uh, read it and see what what it says. And then, of course, every municipality has its own resources to tell you if something is uh, recyclable, if it's going to landfill or if it's okay to be composted. And in Toronto, locally, we have something called Waste Wizard, which is a phenomenal sort of online application. You could type in a product and it'll tell you where you can 
you can go with that product. So I think there's really no magic bullet that I can give consumers other than look for less, mm-hmm. right? So try to reduce um, the amount of consumer packaging that you use. If you're shopping online and it gives you an option to reduce the amount of packaging, do so, right? If you can reduce the number of um, trips with an online retailer, do so, right? That's fewer boxes used. Those are key decisions. If the ultimate goal is to move towards no packaging or totally reusable packaging, and the situation is urgent, are we moving too slowly? Uh, Are we making good time? Because it really seems like, you know, we're giving companies and people an out by offering like, okay, you have to move away from this, but don't worry, you can still use these bags that are also made of plastic um, as long as you charge people for them. Like, it seems like baby, baby steps. Like, I think, yes, we're moving too slowly, but I think every sustainability-focused researcher would tell you we're moving too slowly, right? So uh, we don't feel the urgency of future um, nearly as much as we should. And I think maybe it feels like we're in a sort of transition turning point. Certainly the weather this summer around the globe has been spectacularly wild. And so I think people are waking up to the fact that, you know, this isn't future generation. This is this generation that we're going to have some of these environmental crisis problems. So hopefully consumers will start to pay attention. But I I would stop short of saying that it's an out because Mm. I think you know, we sell things and we buy things and we have to do that one way or another. And it's very difficult to say to a a manufacturer or a food retailer, you know what, from now on, returnable, because we wouldn't even have the supply chain system to provide that. Right. So like if you turned around and said, you know what, no more of these cups, Tim Hortons wouldn't have enough, you know, ceramic cups to pull from sort of deal. They wouldn't have enough um, washing equipment for for the mugs. Like there's all sorts of things that sort of trickle down and are connected. And not to mention the fact that, you know, packaging um, and all these materials, they provide jobs in our economy. Mm. So it's not all bad. It's more the responsible use of it. So it's not a problem that we have thicker bags. It's a problem that we're not reusing them. Right. So focusing on doing the right thing with the products that we're creating is really, really important. Last question. Why do you think we love single use plastics? I mean, (laughs) I don't want to speak for everybody, but like nobody's Uh, saying no to bags or plastic cutlery. People complain about when they're replaced with paper, especially cutlery, because fast food wood cutlery is kind of crappy. Oh, it's so (laughs) It is, right? People like their plastic stuff. I know when the straws came uh, came through, there was a big conversation about accessibility, which is important. But even just in general, we love like disposable plastic crap. Why do we love it so much? And how will we know when we finally switch that mindset? So I beg to differ. I think we love packaging that functions well. And so the replacements haven't functioned as well as as plastic has. There's a reason that plastic is as popular as it is. It's a very well-functioning product. It feels good in the mouth. If you're talking about cutlery, it stands up to a long time in beverages. And so it does a really great job. What it doesn't do is decompose, right? So that's where the problem is. I think it's a philosophical answer, to be honest, Jordan. I think it's, we are starved for time and so we don't have the time to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Everybody I know has a favorite spoon. Can you like imagine your drawer at home? Yep. And the one spoon that you use that you're like, this is my spoon. I love this spoon. Yep. It's not a plastic spoon, is it? No, it's a real spoon. 
It's a real spoon. And so if we could get to a place where we're using these beautiful, real products that actually, you know, our, our parents and grandparents would have grown up using, um, I think those are the products that people love. Um, I don't think they love single use. I think they don't have time to use something different. Okay, one more last question then. What is the utopian vision here? Is it that I bring uh, my favorite spoon with me and I also bring a reusable mug with me and a few reusable bags and a reusable takeout container in case I want to bring something home and I pack that all into my knapsack and I go about my day? And I'm not saying this sarcastically. Like, I'm asking, like, what's the end game? Yeah. And so for me, the utopian end game is that you sit down and have a meal, ideally with friends without the need of any of those things in your bag. That's the utopian version of this, right? It's really uh, living in a world where we consume less, but enjoy more. That would be the utopian version for me. Sit down, have a meal, have a few laughs. Less plastic, more laughs. Oh my goodness. What a great tagline. It's yours if you want it. (laughs) No, all yours. (laughs) Thanks again for this. This was lovely. Appreciate you having the conversation. Thank you. Natalia Lumby of Toronto Metropolitan University. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you have confessions around sustainable packaging, we would love to hear yours, just personally, so I'll feel less like a failure. You can send them to us. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email them to us, hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call and leave a voicemail. That's quite sustainable, 416-935-5935. You can talk to us about anything you want, really. We're always listening. The Big Story is in every podcast player. If the podcast player you listen to it in allows you to give us a rating, or even better, to write a review, because that helps other people find the show. If you haven't done that yet, please consider doing it. It is the best thing you could do to support this show, aside from giving us money directly. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.